In 2016, a new Arrowverse show premiered on The CW. Featuring characters The Flash and Arrow, it existed in their shadows quietly. However, it has since gained popularity and brought the three of us together to discuss the characters and their progression from season one. This week, Mick enters his Cruella DeVille era. There's a sitcom plotline in my dystopia. And this is the beginning of the end of the Arrowverse continuity as we Definitely don't call us heroes. We are the legends of next week. Hello. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the legends of next week. I'm your host, Mary. My pronouns are she, her. I'm Eden, also she, her. And I am Kate, also running up with she, her. All right, guys. So glad to have you back this week to discuss the sixth episode of DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Star City 2046. Yay. 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 Um, heads so up. So my fellow uh, hosts, how do you feel? <laughs> not good. <laughs> yeah, this, this episode has not aged well. It didn't, it wasn't that great to begin with, to be honest, ever for me, so. <laughs> it's, we should say at the top, we didn't like this episode. Yeah. So if you are a person that this is one of your favorite episodes, you might want to skip this if you don't want to hear us pick it apart. Uh, because this is the third highest rated episode for season one on IMDb. So there might be many of you who love this episode we didn't yeah, yeah um, we're this sorry for, ratings mean nothing really i mean look at if we look at like and like people say oh go watch this i mean sometimes it doesn't mean it's gonna be all cracked up like it's supposed to be especially this episode coming off the heels of the white knight failsafe two-parter Ugh. it feels like a big step backwards yeah, especially because the first two minutes of this episode, you basically saw at the end of episode five, which I thought was, which I saw, I was like, okay, really, you couldn't have just put that in the recap? And I mean, two minutes of footage, footage might have not helped everything, but it could have maybe made it somewhat more tolerable. It definitely felt like a step back because, like, again, we already found our, our pacing without Arrow. And then it's like, we have to go back to Arrow. But we really didn't need to. Yeah, it was weird. Like what Kate brought up. The first two minutes of this episode are the last two minutes of Failsafe. So it really feels like the script is weak here. Yeah, this was written by um, Mark Guggenheim. And who's our other one? Ray. Ray. Um, Ray. We're so sorry we can't pronounce your last name. We'll fix yeah, that. Yeah, we love you actually. You, you were the one of the writers who actually answer us, so we love you. You're incredible. Yes. Um, this is not your best work. <laughs> However, I don't necessarily blame you. I blame that this, I wonder how much of this was a writer decision and how much of it was like a big ups decision. That might be the case, yeah, because I feel like let's keep on riding the arrow wave and see what happens. 
Yeah, because at the time Arrow was, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do a comparison here. Please don't get mad at me for this. Arrow was the Iron Man of the air of the Arrowverse as we know it. It start, it kicked the whole thing off. It got us started. It led to the Flash. It was responsible for Legends of Tomorrow. Um, it was not. Supergirl has no affiliation with it technically, so that kind of existed on its own, but. Um, if it, it was weird, like this episode just goes and they tackle arrow related content that at the time we weren't even thinking about the future on arrow aside from who the heck was in the grave. But legends almost kind of wrote that future to arrow. And I don't think it went over very well with the people who came in down the line to write for arrow. Technically, I don't know because, like, at the end, it's like this whole thing of didn't they fix the future anyway? Is that future gonna happen? So we'll discuss that. But you bring that up because we've mentioned in our previous episode that Legends was kind of built in as the backup plan in case the Flash didn't get renewed. Um, this is still a time when we didn't know the future of the Flash um, on the CW, but. Even if that's the case, that it was kind of built in, this feels more like a backup for Arrow. It does. Uh, it really does. And at the time, Arrow did not need a backup. But then again, this was season four of Arrow Arrowing. Yeah. After so, the season, it did. If you if you're if you're if you know Arrow season four, then you know it's not the best season ever. Purely not our opinion, at all. But I mean, if you're someone who enjoyed it. Cool. If you love Arrow, good for you. Like what you like, genuinely. Yeah, We're just not, not the biggest movie. fans on here. So this may not be the episode for you. Yeah, and kind of getting into discussion, I'd like to kick off by talking about how when we see after um the current Green Arrow, who is not Oliver, starts um firing at them and doing all these slips and stuff I how the legends kind of have to deal with that and what immediately catches my attention is that because at this point um Kendra knows who Oliver is Sarah knows Ray knows Rip definitely knows this is her puncher I mean he's studied he Rip did his research so he was he was a good student but I don't know about if Martin and Jax and um, Leonard and Nick knew. And Grace is like, oh, hey, Oliver. And I'm like, uh, secret identity much? It's not Oliver, but still. Feeling that Leonard and Mick did know who he was because it's Leonard. Leonard knows everything. I feel like he did know it was Oliver Queen. Like He's like, oh, wait, rich billionaire here. Oh, all of a sudden there's Arrow. Like, Leonard definitely figured it out. I thought Jax and Martin might have met him at some point because of the team up with the Flash, maybe. Well, that's interesting because this is later in the episode. We learned that the new Deathstroke. Um, sorry, forgive me for a second. I cringed on the screen. Um, the new Deathstroke publicly outed Oliver Queen's uh, identity as I almost said as the arrow <laughs> that's not right as the green arrow but how many people already knew 
Listen, it's like Barry I'm, Allen, I swear, because it's like, oh, wait, how many people know he's Barry Allen? These people are not good with alternate <laughs> identities. Who has the worst secret identity, Oliver or Barry Allen? Let us know. Well, I feel like most of um, Barry's rogues gallery, even if they knew they wouldn't really care because they, they just don't want to do crimes, unless we're talking about like Fawn. Um, well, but he's a dick. anyway, because Thon's Thon's dick. <laughs> um, one thing I want to mention, we're kind of talking about this fight. I need to say this: this episode, in general, feels so rushed and so cheap. Like mm-hmm. just in this fight scene, and I know they try and write it out as "oh, everybody evacuated," but this set that they're recording on. They, they just didn't have any money for extras. When they try and have a mob scene later on, there are huge gaps in this crowd. Like, they just couldn't hire more people to stand there. Um, actually, me and Mary were watching this together, so I was like, look, there's a literal dumper search that's fire. So it's like a good analogy for the whole entire episode. The setting of it is a very is your very typical oh the apocalyptic future wasteland city kind of dump but set it at night where we just have random bins on fire. I did like you can see very prominently throughout this episode is the billboard for one of these signs or um for one of these stores that says everything must go. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know why. I don't know if that was on purpose, but I, I liked that little gag. That's good. I noticed but, also, and there was a there was some poster for a presidential campaign in 2040 on the wall, like for McAllister for president or something. Fun fact: McAllister, he's an artist associated with a lot of Pac-Man comics. Interesting. So, fun little That's Easter cool. egg there. Nice. But team heads back to the ship after failing to capture, quote unquote, the green arrow. And this is when Rip, I don't know, he's probably said this before, but it all blurs together. When he, he, when they, Sarah and Ray rightfully start asking, what's happened here? And um, Rip says, it is dangerous to know too much of your own future because the very future that you're afraid of you can end up setting into motion, which is again terrible foreshadowing. You're also, I, but also, I'm laughing because didn't he already tell them their future with freaking Panther Savage? I mean, man, dumb. He didn't get into specifics. He just said, "Oh, um, you don't make the history books." I mean, are we gonna make the history books? No, of course we're not gonna make the history books. But it's. Honestly, just when he talks about, it's like, you can't, you can't be here. It's, you're too attached. You can't know too much about your own futures. It's honestly just, it's like, okay, real, okay, you're really going to say this now? You're going to act, he acts like such a high and mighty time master in this episode and not the rebel that he has been trying to play us. <laughs> well, he says... He says, well, when you mentioned he tells them about their potential future with Savage, 
well, that future's not set in stone. It's not real, which is something he will bring up a lot uh, throughout this episode, which, which leads to one of the best lines is when I think Rip says something like, well, I'm over having this converse. We're over having this conversation. And Sarah says, well, I'm over you. That is the best line. Literally, that is the best line. That's when Time Dad really starts to kick in there. Yeah. Remember when Time Canary was a thing? I know we mentioned Do this. Do not in remind me. <laughs> Rip Honestly, and Sarah lost shit back in the day. Um, oh, part of the reason they can't automatically leave Star City in 2046, outside of general concern, is that the ship, um, which if you remember, was damaged while they were trying to escape Kronos uh, in Russia. So they need to fix up the ship. And Jax, of course, is the one fixing everything. Because Jax is the only one that reads the manual. Jax is the only one getting it done. Honestly, I feel Jax here because I was the kid who used to read their literature book before going to school. So, like, that would be me literally reading the manual before finding out anything about the ship. I did that, too, as a kid. I would read it on the bus. (laughs) Jax gets to shine in this episode which is nice I mean anytime Jax gets the opportunity to have some moments it's good Um, we can talk we'll talk on and off about the storyline but just as a frame of reference Jax is starting to have some feelings for Kendra and we know this because Martin starts feeling some feelings which is do they use this often I don't remember. The show. Well, they used it with the, obviously the writing, but... the psychic connection. As you, yeah, go but do to... they do. Go ahead. They it comes up from time to time. I'm thinking about it because, um, well, it definitely comes up in season three. Uh, <laughs> not gonna go into that one at the time, but yeah, we do see the psychic connection kind of come up. From time to time mentioned, it's, I mean, it's not something they're going to hammer in every episode, like the fact that Kendra is a hot goddess, but um, it's, yes, formerly Marista, but it still comes up every now and then. And it's kind of, it's interesting that um, they both, they kind of, it does get annoying for them sometimes. It does get annoying having to deal with second connection. And honestly, I don't blame either one of them because... I can see, no matter how much, how well you know someone, you can still get frustrated. I'm going to bring up a great fact. They're literally fixing the ship. And so, like, Barn kind of puts Kendra with Ray, and then he he goes with Jax. But Kendra brings up a really good um, plot line of she actually was a Rosie Riveter. And I was like, how come we didn't get to see her? for the Rosie Riveter episode. That would have been great. Not that Sierra would have came back, but that would have been fun. Never would have. Um, But we love Sierra Renee here. Uh, Does great work on Broadway. She deserved better on this show. She deserved so much better. Uh, Honestly, it would have been fun to see her for that episode. I feel like she would have appreciated being in that episode because it was so good. Yeah. So they start fixing this and like Martin's like, getting feeling annoyed and then he's like 
what why am i mad i shouldn't be mad here but i'm <laughs> mad he's like what's going on here oh, it's such a good moment i love that they had to shut their cons off before <laughs> talking it was it was an awkward conversation to listen to and honestly maybe i maybe it's just it, i was thinking maybe i've been single too long but i'd kill for someone to talk to me like that I've definitely been very single for too long. <laughs> I wasn't agreeing with that. I was I was just going to bring up that this is, at least in Legends, this is one of the first conversations that Martin and Jax have that's a good one. That yes. hasn't started because they had a fight beforehand. Yeah, he, like he it's does. It's Martin giving good advice. Yeah, he does. He like Because he's like, well, how do I get this girl to notice me or like me? And and Martin really says, remember my younger self? Well, be as confident as your young my younger self was. And that's really sweet because it's like, oh, that's a nice one. He does later refer to Kendra as uh, Jax's crush object, which is very funny. <laughs> oh. I love it. But... Since we're here, we can kind of just keep talking about this plot line. I hate this plot line. I hate love triangles to no end. I hate love triangles. It feels especially rushed here. Again, this is what I'm saying, that this episode in general is rushed. Now, we are at episode six, and we had 15 episodes. 16. In this season. 16. So we're not quite halfway there, which I know is when, like, the plot needs to start kicking in. But it really, as good as Failsafe is, and I don't think it should have been changed all that much, they really needed to start working some of this characterization in earlier for some people. Because just this idea that Ray wasn't that into Kendra, and then because Martin brings it up, then he does start to have feelings that doesn't so, make any sense. It really doesn't. He's missing his dead fiance, which I get. How how long has she been dead for? I no, I'm not putting a timeline on grief. I was just wondering how long has she hey, been dead. How long has been dead for? No, you're good. The Slade stuff was season three. Yeah, 2014, uh, right? So two years. About yeah. Years. But again, nobody goes, I start having feelings because we started talking about this two minutes ago. I've never seen that. Where it's like, hey, are you interested in this person? He goes, I haven't thought about it. But you thought about it for a quick second and decided, yeah, I'm interested in her. It's like 10 minutes or 30 something. I don't know. I it's I wasn't paying. I didn't pay attention to how much time had elapsed, really. It's still weird. Mm-hmm. Like we joked about it in our intro, but it really is in the middle of this dystopia, super dark subplot, which has no jokes. They try and put this sitcom-esque love triangle in and it doesn't work. None of the jokes hit. The only parts that are funny are just because the actors are great. And can mm-hmm. do what they can with the material and their own chemistry. But even the chemistry between Ray and Kendra is forced. Yeah, because again, he didn't think about it. They didn't really have that many scenes together. But all of a sudden, hey, I'm interested in you. 
What kind of Hallmark bullcrap is this? Mm-hmm. Even Hallmark stuff, I know when I'm there. It's not in the middle of the apocalypse. There might be yeah. one. Although coming next Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, that will be the Hanukkah I'm one. Hanukkah is dystopia. of a nuclear Christmas. Actually, there already was Anna and the Apocalypse, which was that musical mm. set during Christmas, during the Apocalypse. Oh, yes. That was fun. I mean, there's um, a way you could do a love story in an d- apocalypse that's not like 10 minutes and them being like, I'm interested in you. So at the end of this episode, Ray like makes his move on Kendra and he says, you want to go out? And she says, well, three months ago I was normal and now I'm on the run from an immortal psychopath and I'm a hot goddess and the man I'm destined to be with forever died a little bit ago. We will pepper in the fact that Carter is dead. Which is fair. <laughs> I love every that although that's really funny, but it's also sad that that's the only thing Kendra is allowed to say in every well, episode. Yeah, but it's true. She just lost Carter, so she's kind of grieving, but like I don't think she's thinking I, of a yes. relationship right this second at all. She says that. She I says, know, Yeah, but it's not into dating right now. Um, speak for the writer's room but Sierra Renee I am I I just you deserved better ma'am you deserve so much better you really did yeah this is probably we didn't get her for the hundredth episode which is sad again I would love to see Sierra for something (coughs) bless you but um I liked though also the other person on um Kendra's side is Gideon she says, well, uh, the ship was put back together mostly through Kendra while the two men with her were too busy and they try and shut her up because they were too busy being men with feelings, <laughs> which was nice. Yeah, I love Gideon. But yeah, that whole tiny little arc is to set up spoilers for Legend Season 1, which I feel like if you're already here, you don't need, but regardless. I but feel later like it's on also when- a breakup between the action of what's going on and, you know, anything else. Yes. Um, but, like, it sets up for later on when Kendra and Ray are stranded for two years together, all off screen. But it sets that up. And I just think they shouldn't just let her stay single. I love her chemistry with Jax. I think she and Jax are really cute, but. She just makes a good point of maybe I should just well, want to focus on myself. I just wanted to really cringe. I really like it makes me cringe to give it now reference coming up in a later episode. We'll get to it when we get to it, though. Well, it's also like and again, Sierra Renee, I know you're not listening to this because you avoid anything legends. Good for you. Um, they are passing this woman around like a football between Flash, Arrow, and Legends because first it's Cisco, and then it's Vandal Savage who's after her and then it's Carter and then it's Jax and then it's Ray, and they just can't let this woman exist without a man next to her regardless of what that male influence is, which is why like when we brought up the Sarah Kendra stuff that was fun 
That would have been interesting. I'd have kind of gone for that. So um, the now, so they can fix the ship pretty fine, but they still um, need a part that's to help Gideon's um, navigation or something. What was it like, the logic or something? But Ray's it's like, the oh, new, something like the neurologic something. Who's it? Some science crap. Sorry, the MacGuffin. Ray, Let's just call the MacGuffin. But Ray's like, oh. We were thinking about the MacGuffin back where we came from. They probably have a prototype by now. You can probably steal it. Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, Rip says, well, I'm going to go. Sarah, you need to stay here. I brought people who know how to steal. <laughs> yeah, I love this. Like, wait, I remember I have two thieves on this ship and haven't used them really. You steal stuff. Aside from wallets. That's true. No one has a wallet in a war-torn Star City. <laughs> Are we using currency in Star City 2046? I think it's just bones. Are you sure it's we not Bitcoin? With our fists. <laughs> it, it will be Bitcoin. Let's be honest. The future's gonna <laughs> suck. Bitcoin. <laughs> oh my god. Grant Wilson, who we'll talk about later, is definitely an NFTs person. <laughs> Oh, he is. He is. Um, but so Sarah insists on going with them because she knows Star City better than anybody else. And off they go. And our two favorite um, criminals decide while there's an attack going on, which once again, an attack, there are six people and the camera is moving around really fast to make it look like there's a lot of people. Um, they go off. My favorite thing is like them trying to mug Leonard and Nick, and he's like, "Really, you're trying to mug us? You're trying to mug us, right?" What thieves, gets trying to mug us? What gets me is like leading up to that is that they have to go take shelter in this school bus that's kind of burnt out, and they're all just huddling in there. Sarah goes right after the um, new Green Arrow. Rip's going after her. And he tries to tell him that it's like, okay. And then Rip is entering his time dad, Eric Getty, tells Leonard and Mick, like, okay, stay here. And of course, when you tell someone to stay there and they're criminals, they're not going to stay there, especially these two. So they go out. And then this gang of this motorcycle gang comes up and you have this this one guy who's absolutely, who, he, he doesn't know who he's dealing with. He looks like he's just in it for the thrill. And then, like, this guy, this leader guy, is wearing the worst fur coat in the whole entire existence of the world. Like, how many puppies did you steal to make this? No budget in this episode. No budget. We, we, rented, we rented the coat from Macklemore. I, I believe this. Oh, God. Uh, that lines up because when would thrift shop have come out like three years before this i'm gonna look this up (laughs) anyway so like they defeat them pretty easily because mick has a literal fire gun yeah i i wrote down that this is mick's little indiana jones moment because the guy is like woo i'm doing evil stuff and Mick just sets him on fire. 
<laughs> Which again, good for Mick because that it's so funny. But it's just like he steals the he gets the jacket. Which again, this is Mick's Disney villain error, and um. He steals the jacket and gets the girl and takes the motorcycle. And Len's just like, I don't want to go with you. He's so jealous. Len. Len is so jealous in this episode. But yeah, he really does look like Cruella de Vil in that coat. Mick does. Um, good good for him. Mick is having a great time in criminal land. I mean, he has his fur coat and a goblet. And this is everything that Mick has ever wanted. Thrift shop was released in 2012. Yeah, he's not. If you don't, be, so if you, so if you were having a good day, I'm sorry if I ruined that. Oh God, oh God, I'm <laughs> old. Sorry. Oh. Um, which again, he holds up. Yes, I have a goblet. It's plastic. This, I'm gonna keep harping on how it's this episode a looks. Chalice. <laughs> it's a chalice. That's right. Um. Yeah, let's just talk about the cold wave in this episode. Because I know we have a lot of thoughts. So who would like yeah. to start talking first? I can go first because what, what this episode really solidifies in the first part when we see Mick and Leonard is that uh, they, yes, they are a duo and they balance each other out. Leonard, like they both have a chaotic nature to them. Leonard is a more... Um, organized chaos he likes his he likes his order he likes to know that thing he likes things in line mick is um is kind of it is just fully chaotic and it can be borderline destructive so while he is the destructive one led is the one who kind of he literally freezes people out and i think that's interesting and also this is the longest they've really been on other people and not continually stolen stuff i mean unless you kind of letters wallets which that's a totally different thing but they're branching out leonard is making leonard has been making friendships with sarah mick has been making friendships with, with uh ray and but mick's what mick likes is status quo leonard is changing he's changing a little faster than mick is here and that is absolutely upsetting the balance yeah he does mention like the whole thing of what is the one thing I always wanted Leonard and this is like mixed world this is his it he's like for the world to burn and like literally the time before that he goes I am the Leonard goes I am the brains you are the brawn and he goes and that I feel got to him because again yes they're partners but we have to remember before all this they got in a fight and that's what caused Mick's burn. So they got in a fight and they didn't talk for a while. Yeah. The, the cold wave in this episode, it's good because both of the actors, they know the characters well and they could carry this long set past. I mean, not to bring up Prison Break again, but they've played against each other on a TV series for a while. So these are two actors with really great scene chemistry. But this episode it feels rushed I, I know i keep saying this episode feels rushed but it does in that this kind of very sudden rift between mick and len it feels like they come to blows almost too quickly and i know they have like len has spent this time apart when they've spent time apart 
when they were when the gulag situation was happening Len was with Sarah who starts influencing him and Mick is with Ray who also starts influencing him so I I do agree that Len is changing more than Mick is ready to accept but I also think Mick is changing in a way mm-hmm. maybe he's not fully conscious of because when he says to Snart like hey you've come to spring me out and he says we can't leave Ray here and Len says that's not my problem and Mick says but he took a beating for me I have to get him out of here even if that's the very simple code of you scratch my back I'll scratch yours it still shows where Mick's morals are. Also, Mick, again, he's given the one thing he's always wanted. This, the city burning is something he's always wanted. And he's like, we could be kings here. We could do whatever the hell we want. As long as we get rid of this guy, we'll have everything on a silver platter. We don't need to go after anybody. And Lang goes, what about Vandal? And he's like, kind of like, I don't care about Vandal. I think in that moment, he's thinking of Lisa because he's like, well, Vandal gets what he wants. My sister will be in danger. And I really care about my sister. Lisa's very important to me. Yeah, I think there's something there. Obviously, this is a little bit later in the season. We learn that Mick doesn't really have a close blood family anymore or ever. And we know Len had his awful dad and awful upbringing, but he's always had Lisa as kind of his only anchor to not fully slipping into a darkness because he had to be there for her. And not saying that Len was always in the right or doing the best, but... God, no. No, (laughs) but he truly loves and cares about Lisa as... And she is this connection outside of a... I mean, she is also a criminal, but even outside of this criminal life that they lead, there's that connection there. And I know Mick and Len have been together forever, but it's not, it is the same connection in a way. But again, with kind of the weird pacing of this episode, it's like we've taken Mick back a few steps in his character, because even before the, before he gets taken by the Russians and he has that Ray moment, he is the one that sits with Rip and says, listen, this guy's here to kill you. It feels like they dumb Mick down in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, and at the end of the episode, um, when they're preparing to leave, Mick's looking out the window at this, and he has a very interesting expression on his face. I thought like, It's almost like a kind of longing, but a confusion at the same time. And he's, and it's like, I'm going to miss this place. And Ray's like, oh yeah, they seem like you're, they're your kind of people, which we know is Ray Palmer's positivity, but it's coming out as that. And Mick says something really interesting there. He says, I don't know who my people are anymore. The interesting thing is um, Len also punched Mick out. He literally punches yes. him out. He ends up in the brig. They, he goes through all like the... Uh, stuff they committed the crimes and he's like didn't I stop you from doing this and didn't I stop you from doing that and I was already right always right he's like this is not a you know a, a bank we're robbing right now but the fun thing is once 
he has that conversation with Ray, you have to notice that he does not sit next to Leonard. He sits next to Ray. He absolutely does not. It's like a separation right there and then. The cracks are Len widening. is on this side. Ray is on this side. I mean, Len is on this side. Bick is on that side. Yeah, Ray is the uh, intermediary. He is sitting between them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Kate, you bring up like the cracks are starting to show, but like when Len punches Mick to get him out like, again, we're um, uh, snart simps here or snimps. Um, mm-hmm. Team Snimps. Um, I think Len is in the wrong in this episode. Like, I think should Mick have done what he did? I don't know. But I don't think Len had the full had the full right to do what he does to punch Mick and drag him back to the ship. I th- I honestly think that if he didn't punch Mick. Mick wouldn't have came back to the ship. Not that I'm saying he's right, but he would have literally stayed there and probably caused another timeline problem, but he was not leaving and bridging. So I I mean, yeah, Leonard should not have Leonard probably like, but they're they're not like they say later on, they're not the kind of guys that talk out. They deal with it with their fists. And also at the same time, I think if they try to talk it out, um Mick would not have done that. He would have gone rogue with the gang. And ultimately, I think Rip would have either flashed him or just killed him to take him out of the timeline. I know that sounds dark, but Rip Hunter has shown that he is willing to do whatever it takes. I mean, you're not wrong because next episode is marooned, right? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the next episode... Len is the one who quote unquote does what needs to be done with Mick, we think. Which again, and we will talk about this next week when we can get into that episode. But they have gone from in episode five, Snart going, My priority is Mick. This is my only priority getting into this prison, to being ready to take him out. And I have to agree, we needed, like, I feel like this episode that we did need the Arrow stuff as much as, like, maybe two episodes to show, like, kind of the decline of their friendship. Like, that's why we didn't need the Arrow stuff, because it feels like it pushed into a lot of stuff that needed uh, more time. Like, I was saying that Mick feels out of character in this. Obviously, I am looking back at having had six seasons of Mick. And how he has changed and grown as a character. But even with just the past two episodes, Mick feels this is a regression for Mick's character. And I feel like Mick is one of those characters that his intelligence and his capability really fluctuates with whoever writes him. He is not a consistently written character. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. And that brings up the whole thing of like the one consistent character's writing is, I feel it is Sarah at this point that her character is like the one that's been consistent these whole episodes. And she has things to do in this episode. Sarah is episode MVP. Mm, yes, she is. Because... She sees her city, yeah, she sees her city burning and she's like, we need to do something about this. This is the place that I grew up. This is what happened to my father? What happened to my sister? Where is Oliver? Where is Felicity? Where is everybody? 
And all the while, Rip is telling her, this is not real. This doesn't matter. This is just a potential future. This is why I didn't want you here, because you're getting worked up over this. You're getting emotional. You're getting involved. And we can't have this. And even when he when she goes running after our Green Arrow, he goes like, well, well, can I tell you I told you so? And it's and the thing is, it's different. It's like no one else has the emotional connection to Star City that Sarah does. She was there when it was Starling City. Ray just moved in. He's not the local that Sarah is. And you have to remember that Quinn was like the police chief. So she probably knew a lot of people because of her father's work and everything oh, like yeah. that. We should probably also mention, because I realized we've been recording and we didn't mention. So it's not Oliver Queen as the Green Arrow. It's Connor Hawk. Who is going by um going by right now? I, I keep his getting his real name is John uh, Diggle. And then he goes Junior. by Connor Hart yeah. because apparently his father was killed and he doesn't feel like he deserves that name. Yes. Listen, I am a hardcore Diggle stan. Diggle is my favorite character in the in the Arrow show. He would he is always my favorite of OTA. And when, when I remember, I still remember the first time I saw this episode and they told, and they said that Diggle died during the uprising, that gutted me. And I did the math this time because they said the uprising started about 15 years ago. So that would make it in about 2031. My math's correct there, which means by that math, considering what we know now with because the timeline was all messed up, because all we knew at the time there was a Sarah Diggle. We didn't know anything about John Diggle Jr. And then we mm-hmm. had that whole mess happen. But regardless of not, currently that would have put John Diggle Jr. at 18 years, 17, 18 years old at this when the uprising happened and he lost his father. And that's also when Oliver disappears. And mm-hmm. um he takes up the mantle of the Green Arrow at, in his steed. Because and he cares his... about his city. Uh, he cares about the city because that's the city his dad loved. And he doesn't want to see it fall into ruin. And he's really trying to... Like, I do actually like Connor. Uh, it, Connor's great. Yeah, I wish we would have dealt oh, more yeah. with him, to be honest. Um, because the enemy Connor is fighting this whole time is well sarah looks around and she sees the death stroke mask and she goes slayed she's like she's like i thought that guy's dead yeah. <laughs> or missing or whatever happened to him I, listen my memory of arrow is okay, getting so spotty. what happened was on the island he did die like i forgot who killed him right. exactly i forget if it was ollie or sarah but he does die so they think that he's actually dead on Lian Yu. so for her to see him it's like but you're already dead we killed you but it's Wait. not oh. i thought it was that they she knew he was still she knew slade was still alive at that point because slade had come back year prior and brought oh that's right and then, maybe they thought and they then killed oliver him during him that Lee and you they that's right, but that's I, right i still remember oliver put an arrow right through his eye in the oh. wreckage of the amazo seriously i think you watched more arrow than me 
I have just seen Encyclopedia of very early Arrow stuff. I appreciate it because outside of Thea, I don't know. I care about I, Thea. I, I like the first two seasons of Arrow. I a forgot lot. about season the third season though, but he does die. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I should probably sit down and watch all of it at some point. Oh, no. <laughs> Pay us money if you want us to watch and review Arrow. Seriously. Uh, However, I, I would like to mention that when he takes the mask off, it is not um, the Slade Wilson we know and hate. Um, it is his son, Grant Wilson. We know and hate. Which, this poor actor, man. I, listen. Sorry, sir. He, you didn't get anything good to work with. Mm-mm. And I am sorry. His accent is all over the place. Mm-hmm. As someone who's been, as, so knowing that Slade Wilson is Australian and Manu Bennett is is from is a Kiwi, um, having been to both those places, having lived there for a while, I know that I've heard the accents typical of the areas. He was not close. He was he not. Close. He lost it at one point. I, I mentioned that to Mary. He literally like lost it. He's actually a Brit that went to school in America. So yeah, he didn't get that. If I can bring some comic history to this, just as like, let's learn about something fun. Let's not. So Grant Wilson is a comic character. Um, He is Slade Wilson's son. He does suffer from chronic dead child syndrome in comics a lot. Oh, poor guy. So basically Slade Wilson blah 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 he was in the army and he got all these experimentations done to make him the ultimate assassin i hate deathstroke sorry not sorry why am i apologizing he touches kids anyway um so um when (laughs) he has two sons one is grant and then the other is joseph who later becomes the character jericho who i love if you've seen teen titans he's there and they did reference Joe in Arrow. They a- did. They, they referenced him way back in season one. And I think that was all we ever really heard about him. I know there was an episode that went to go help Slade's son. I don't know which son it was, though. He's by in the comics. Excellent. Uh, Grant is tragically straight. Um, and Well, fun fact, in the comics, um, Jericho, because he's mute in a lot of the comics, is because one of Slade's old enemies tried to hold up him and his family, and Slade managed to stop him, but not before he started to cut Joseph's throat. Uh, which, if fun fact, the original reason Slade loses his eye is because his wife is so pissed she shoots him in the eye. Good for her. <laughs> Seriously, Sorry. good for her. Good for her. We. Women's wrongs. Uh, um, Adelaide Wilson, you're the best. Anyway, Grant eventually like runs away from home because Slade keeps trying to teach him to be a mercenary, and he's like, "Dad, you suck." But later, Grant Wilson's idol is Deathstroke, and doesn't know that that's who his dad is. Oh, no. So he gets recruited by Hive, and they do a bunch of experiments on him, and he becomes the Ravager. But he ends up dying in Slade's arms because he has a heart attack from all of the mutations they put on him. Anyway, yeah, so he's pretty uh, much going around town, like, calling everybody out. 
and he's, he's so bored. He, he he sees the green arrow, Connor, and he's got he's got a grudge against him, and he starts calling out like, "Hey, any I'm gonna hey anyone who kills this man." Well, actually, don't kill his man. He wants him brought to him. And he's and he goes and he announces during Nick and Leonard's big party. We, we, we literally forgot the most important part, which is not the most important part, is Sarah finds <laughs> a certain person in the, the place where they were looking oh, yeah. for the MacGuffin. It's, all, it's Oliver Queen in his Ben Kenobi era. Don't do Ben like this. No, it's more of his... Bad Sam Winchester makeup error. <laughs> I'm sorry. It is that way. This is bad. I mean, I feel like Oliver's is slightly better, but it's like all they really did was like slap some latex on and dye his hair and mustache beard white. What to show the passage of time? We've dyed his hair gray, and oh, he's lost an arm. Yay. Oh yeah, That's and then she's not- like, and he's more grumpy than he was in this series. And then, like Sarah's like, Ollie, is that you? I mean, he's mean. He's just meaner than he is. Like all of our Oliver, it's me, Sarah Lance. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, once again, showing her hand here as the most capable. She's the most capable, and here's where we really start to see future Captain Sarah. Because she's not necessarily leading the team here, but she's that beacon that leaders could ascribe to be. We see her compassion for what's going on. Even when they get back to the ship and they say, oh, is everything, how's everything going? And Sarah says, well, you know, everyone I've ever known is dead. I'm great. <laughs> but she straight up tells Rip, hey, the future with your wife and son is that set in stone why are we here then and she has a good point is that like i know it's the future but has it happened Uh, yeah was any any mentions that um (laughs) the future is malleable so like if you can change that future and his future why can't they change sarah's future no matter how real it might be or not be that's rip yeah and the whole time even though rip keeps saying that this is in your future this is in your future this isn't gonna happen uh if you listen if i was transported um 30 years into the future and i saw the place where i grew up was a burning wreck and someone kept telling me oh don't get upset this isn't gonna happen maybe I was, I would, I would still be upset because I'm gonna wonder what happened that got to this point. I mean, even with the pause, like my hometown is someplace that you know I do enjoy in small, <laughs> small certain visits, but I can't imagine the emotional turmoil that's going on with Sarah because yeah, she's still reconnecting to that human side that's being emphasized a lot, especially in in um. Uh, the episode three and episode four, just the emotional impact of seeing that, I can't imagine. 
It's true because, like, again, it's her hometown. She grew up in this. She's seeing it burn. And it's really emotional trauma she's going through where it's like, Eddie, he's kind of gaslighting her a bit. Because he is. Because he's like, well, this is not real, so it shouldn't matter to you. I wrote in my notes, rips and asks, like, three separate times. Because he really is in this episode. Not that Rip is ever, like great because he's not but in this episode it's really hammering home that like hey but if we say vandal savage or not if we say vandal savage oops wow <laughs> nobody wants to do that um no. <laughs> if we save the world from vandal savage then everyone's problems get fixed where we're looking at the big picture here and there are smaller things that we could do to make the world better. This is like one of the first, ep- I think the first episode where the problems we're fixing are not ones we necessarily made. Mm-hmm. Even though Oliver tells Sarah, if you and Ray were here, this might not have happened. But I don't see how they could have made a difference, to be honest, at all. <laughs> it's like, wait, things would have changed. Oh, they probably would have died, too. I would like to mention, just so we keep going kind of through this episode, I'd like to mention, first of all, one thing I found very funny. That little time doohickey, that, the MacGuffin that we're looking for, when Rip finds it, it has the name of it on the box, which I found very funny. Uh, it's <laughs> I not love that. Project Secret or something. It's just <laughs> written on the box, like Felicity's label maker got used yeah well she seems like that type of person just label everything and like note she also left so she's just like i've had it here i leave this i'm leaving your ass oliver i can't take this anymore i'm going good for her but in the ensuing fight which we've talked about that had len and mick get involved uh connor ends up taken to be executed by grant wilson i'd like to mention that scene uh, I hate it in the scene they should have done. Uh, mm-hmm. No, they shouldn't have. <laughs> Which, once again, it's bad how cheap that production looks. Because uh, Star City usually doesn't look so cheap, but maybe just because the burned out husk was a studio. Um, there is like maybe 20 people in this crowd. And also, I know this is a small thing, and it's not really that important. However... <laughs> When they put, um, because he's going to behead Connor, he like puts his head down on the block, but his quiver is like right next to his neck. Oh no. How is he supposed to cut through that with the sword? It's It's like he wanted, it's like he wanted to do a nearly headless Nick job of it. Oh. Which is even more worse. That is worse. it's a it's it's a like when you're really watching this episode it just it makes me feel really sick watching that and then we have and then you have sarah come in to serve as the distraction but it still doesn't take away when you look at the audience it's a very white audience watching the execution yeah like go Um, back in time and really rethink this scene yeah (laughs) writers I mean, yeah. It's it's a bad scene. This is a bad episode, guys. <laughs> um, 
So Sarah comes in as a distraction and don't worry everybody because Oliver Queen is here to save the day. Woo. You know, there's a scene in the Young um, uh, Justice League Unlimited cartoon where Green Arrow shows up um, singing his own theme music. I could have used that here. God Honestly, damn it, Oliver. You know what we could have had um, in our flags? I mean, death, like Lucius literally gives <laughs> this whole introduction to Steed. And that would have been so much better if like Sarah gave that whole thing to Oliver because it would have been funny at least. It would have been nice if they cracked a single joke in this episode. This no. episode is so devoid of joy. I do find it interesting, though, um, because, you know, the ep- of course, because this is a Legends episode, we have to borrow from Arrow, we have to show that Oliver does, Oliver as a 60-something-year-old man, geriatric. <laughs> <laughs> geriatric at 60. Hey, I'm reaching that age. Don't say that. <laughs> no. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's over the hill, okay? He but is. He's, he's still managed to see, he beats this little, this young whippersnapper. <laughs> and he ultimately, he and Connor decide, hey, we're going to team up. But before that, I noticed when the, he, all the legends are there and Oliver's greeting them. He says he greets he greets Ray and Kendra specifically. And that really stood out to me because if you remember way back in the flash and wait, okay. Do you remember the old newspaper article for the Central City um, that Iris writes where Barry disappears in the future? Yes. Because who who was because you remember um I think it said that it was a fight with the with the reverse flash that involved the green arrow, the Adam and Hawk Girl. So it's almost like maybe that was the last time, which is very interesting. Like, cause he said Ray never came back, but I wonder. I guess I know they knew the oh, that's crossover, a, that's a good but whatever. It's also, if it's also kind of a callback to that. Now I know they knew him for the crossover, but is it a call toward that that's coming? That was going to be coming. That is interesting because he doesn't ever mention <laughs> the Hawks after that. He doesn't say the Hawks left him. That is interesting. Yeah, it's great that you bring that up. I know we joked at the beginning, like this is when Arrowverse continuity goes to hell. It quite literally does after this. I. It's hard to keep track of any timeline specifically. I don't think they haven't introduced alternate Earths yet uh, in the grand scheme of things. So that's still just different timelines, not Earths. I like all Earths except for one. It's true. I, I don't it, even It's just so, it, again, know. so incohesive because, like, again, it doesn't even have any implications on Arrow or any other show after this. It's just self contained. It doesn't, like, the plot doesn't move on anywhere with the Arrow part. I mean, all it does is bring Connor back to, or bring him into Arrow, which is good. Which they kind of ruined. We can't get into that now. Yeah, but ultimately, it's interesting how the episode ends because you see Sarah is kind of filled with a sort of hope. In a way that, be, like things, things are going to be turning around. That's what she's thinking when she leaves. Um, 
Nick, Mick and Leonard are on the outs. Uh, Ray and Jax have both, they're, they're handling rejection well. Martin's the one who's just like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. And frankly, I don't blame him. Honestly, and poor then they're off. Rip doesn't really say where they're going, but essentially what happens, and slight spoilers for the next episode, it's depression hours in the temporal zone is what ends up happening, essentially. Woo! Gone. Yay! And somehow less depressing than this episode. I'm excited. Yeah, I, I do enjoy the next episode a little bit more, but this one's just so bad. It's just like I always skip it because it's not my favorite at all. Yeah, I think you made up uh, some really great points of maybe at the time, like the t- reason why it's rated so highly on IMDb. If I'm pretending it's not just some dude bros that like the edgy stuff, because Legends is still trying to be edgy in season one, but it it, it feels like this episode. Looking back on it now, it's for the worst that it tries to connect itself back to Arrow. But at the time, the big selling point of Legends was that it was just a melting pot of all of the fan favorite characters. So this was like a little bonus Arrow episode of all your Arrow faves that can't be on the show anymore. I have to admit, yes, this yes, Legends of Tomorrow was definitely trying to fit into a mold in the first season, the first several seasons, actually. But yes, it has changed for the good. And I do believe that. And I'm glad it's changed for the good. However, I I am going to miss, I do miss the intros where they have the reading of who they yeah, are. Yeah, I and miss what those too, doing. actually. I miss those a lot. And I can understand why we, why we did away from them because we stopped fitting to the, and I feel like that's another one we stop fitting to the CW mold, which is a good thing. But it's just when I watch the intros now and I see all their respective symbols come up and I hear whoever's narrating the previously, it just it feels nice. And I kind of remember when era. they stopped doing that at all. They it was around Season kind of season four was when they stopped. Yeah, because I remember season four having them. Because I remember five. Mick doing it a couple times. Oh. oh, you mean like the voiceovers? I was thinking yeah. you were saying like the little symbols. The symbols no, were no. only one, which I kind of miss. That would be fun. No, like, like a fun yeah, Twitter like what would Spooner two, symbol be? That would be fun. Like Astro symbol. A spoon. A spoon. <laughs> would Gary's be a tentacle? It would just be fun. No, it would it's just be nipple. glasses. It's a nipple. No, <laughs> a- we will not talk about the nipple. Sorry, the nipple, it is a phone. Which, okay, so, so, no, wait, I think it was up till season three, they were still doing some of the symbols, actually, because Amaya yeah. had a symbol. That's Nate right. had a symbol. I think, I think oh. Zari had a symbol, too. I mean, even Savage has a symbol, and it's just the eye of Horus. <laughs> that was lazy. But, I, you're right that it does give like this, I guess the biggest plus of this episode, even though we hate it, is that it, it just delivers on the nostalgia of the uh, height times of the Arrowverse. Granted, this is when Arrow has its bad season, but it's interesting to look back on this Legends episode that is so serious and so dry. Mm. And, and remember also- that. Oh, sorry. Um, 
but to but to remember that this is when the flash was the light funny show yeah i missed that actually. the Arrowverse. i do and also just looking at this episode again it's so it's been six years since this episode aired so when you think about it, a lot is put into perspective perspective when you watch it because not everything that was happening in the episode it pro- it would it's it's not holding up for today and i'm not talking about continuity i'm talking about some of the things we actually see happening in this episode not sure. to the debbie downer but no no it's true it's like I, again if the writers now try at least to do certain things that like are that are not disrespectful kind of i feel again with that whole thing with connor was kind of bordering Mm. on eek they try not to do that now and hopefully by the time this airs we'll learn that we have season eight because we really want that but i feel like going forward yeah they're going to continue trying to be better than they were before that yeah i definitely think legends like to that point they still make mistakes and have made mistakes regarding representation um just as their writer's room is constantly evolving and bringing in different diverse voices you can see that through the show's evolution for sure and it it just while we didn't like this episode it does it it's funny in how it doesn't reflect season the most recent season of seven at all and yet that little sense of community is still there yeah it's yeah. Tri- it has now evolved so far beyond arrow and, that it's um, gotten- i have to admit with going with uh the renew uh legends going on in twitter it's like you get to see like the fans and them commenting on stuff from the past and it's just like <laughs> lovely to see all the stuff that people are enjoying or love or, you know, got them in the series, what got their favorite character. It's just, it's wonderful. Yeah, exactly. So even if, as we said, we didn't like this episode, if this is one of your favorite episodes, yay. This is what helped you get into the show. That's awesome. Final thoughts for this episode. I didn't mention this, but it was in my notes and this is important. Mick names one of his goons, Kaniki. And Mick also in later seasons mentions that he loves Fiddler on the Roof. I like canon Broadway fan Mick. That's that's my final thought of this episode. Honestly, goals. Uh, my final thought is that I love Mick's Disney era because it just loves makes me laugh hysterically. I, I literally made him a nip because I thought it was so funny that he looked like Quilla DeVille. But yeah, it, it does have a couple good points. I do like the cold wave stuff, to be honest. It's good stuff, mm-hmm. but we it could have had a longer, you know, a longer span of episodes to build up to. Uh, final thoughts for me. Um, I also forgot to mention this, but when Sarah told Rip to go to hell, he later told her he was considering his the suggestion. They had to wait three seasons to, for someone to go to hell. Rip! Right, have gone there sooner, but uh, to get to actual <laughs> hell and see footage of it, it took three seasons. Overall, oh, nice. though, with this episode, I thought it was nice. This was a, I thought that it was a nice concept to see our first future. Mm-hmm. The execution was not perfect, though. 
it was it was probably out of the late ranking list this episode's probably down to the bottom yes just before you add on uh, and we do our final ranking for this and then we'll go into our timeline i think this episode is a great indicator of the one major flaw legends has across almost all of its seasons mm-hmm. is that it has too much story and not enough episodes I, the writers need room, a full season 20 we do and i know that part of that is budget and everything and i know that the writers room even when they make bad choices or whatever i'm talking about that but they have so many great ideas and because it's an ensemble show it is hard to give every character that amount of screen time and plot and not it's not always balanced and i think this is one of those episodes where if they had like one or two extra episodes it wouldn't feel so rushed I just think that's an indicator across Legends in general, not Mm -hmm. just this episode. So let's go ahead and rank this episode. Kate, where would you put this on your list of Legends episodes? On my list of Legends episodes, so right now, (laughs) right now, it's Failsafe is still taking the top of White Knights. Um, When I think about how I reflect on this episode, it's probably um i would rank it at the bottom but tied with pilot part two because those are both very plot heavy episodes um i would say it's kind of at the bottom with pilot part two Eden, what do you think? i actually put this at the very very bottom because at least episode two of the pilot had some funny stuff going on and i could appreciate that so it had the comedy so this for me is just like the worst for me the worst episode i i'm gonna have to also put it at the bottom but i i switch out pilot part one and part two i rank the pilot the part one lower purely because i think Pilot Part 1 and Star City 2046 are kind of, they feel like refresher courses for, were you watching it's, Arrow? Were you watching Arrow Flash? for dummies. It is. And I know that's who I am. Um, and I know that's for me. But it, it still kind of leads into more of a, this is who this is. And this is why they are doing things. And blah, blah, blah. There's a little bit of plot in there. It's the Hollywood Squares of the Arrowverse. It is. You're not it really wrong. is, and I <laughs> I do agree with Eden the fact that that's also why I put Pilot Part Two a little bit higher. P- Pilot Part One has some humor, but Part Two has some great stuff. Yeah, that I love. Them. I enjoy, but I, I, I think I, all opinions are valid. I, the, but pretty resoundly, we don't like this episode. I'm a sucker for a bar fight. That's the only reason I like. Pilot yeah, that's part why I kind of like. That's fair. To. That's fair. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I do love that bar scene, so that's why. All right, time to update our timeline. Fun stuff. So where were we in episode six, Star City 2046? Gee, was it Star City? Yes, it was Star City. What? We were? <laughs> no, it was Central City. Damn it. Barry Allen, what happened to your face? 
Listen, can we put? Uh, listen, I just want to see old Barry Allen for reasons now. <laughs> Get on it, CW. So is this like the farthest in the future we've gone? Since, well, like before um, <laughs> Rip's family epically dying. Yeah, I think minutes. besides that, that is the furthest we've been is Star City 2046. Yeah. This is the furthest the legends have traveled, and it's quite the jaunt from um, Russia in 1980-something. 1986, was it? 86, thank you. It's quite the jump. So they've jumped almost, um, they jumped 60 years in the future, and then can I, and then eventually they've end up retconning the whole thing and say, oh, it was another Earth. Man, this episode really is one of those bad, it was a dream the whole time, but you didn't know that until seven years later when Arrow ended. Yeah. Legends are so cool. We were <laughs> jumping the multiverse while Barry Allen was just taking John's to Earth 2. Well, Flashpoint, interestingly, did happen around the same time, except in like, we were looking in October. Yeah, this happened in February. Wait, Flashpoint was in February? Uh, no. Um, the Cupid episode, which is... Oh. And then this episode was in February. The Flashpoint was in October. Yeah, right. so the... Flash was so, later. Yeah, the Flash... Flashpoint hadn't really happened yet. So... Yeah. We can't blend this one on Barry Allen. Sorry, you can't. This was our own fault this time. That's pretty much where we've wrapped up for this week. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about Maroon, which I know is one of Kate's favorites. Yeah! So that will be happier. We'll have more fun things to talk about. More references. More fun references. Anyone more have any wave. other final thoughts? More cold <laughs> wave. More cold wave for the cold waves. Honestly, this is the beginning of a divorce that I'm... They, they have to fight over the kids just saying in this episode <laughs> who is getting custody marriage story it's and len is the scarlet Johansson. whoever has photoshop skills you're welcome <laughs> to bless us anytime mick pounding on the wall every day i wake up wake up <laughs> yeah I feel like this should be a TLC say, story. I don't know. I think we, did, we just found the title of our next episode. We did say that Oliver's old man makeup this looks like Adam Driver's old man makeup in the career day sketch. Well, I, well, I said Sam Winchester looks I said Sam Winchester looked like Herb Welch from SNL if you're familiar with Bill Hader's stints in that. Anyway. <laughs> Any final thoughts, a fellow host, before we don't have to touch this episode? Hopefully, never again. Hopefully, never. Goodbye and good riddance. Bye yeah, and good riddance. Pretty much. Indeed. It MVP, served its purpose. Uh, yeah, Sarah. Sarah was the MVP. She's probably the only one who made sense in this whole entire damn episode. Yeah, Sarah is the MVP. Although, um, I I do like, I forgot to mention this again. I'm sorry. One last thing. I do love that Martin basically told Rip to just shut up and yes. let Sarah go. Martin Stein 
will have it doesn't always have the best moments but he has excellent moral compass moments and that was one of them yeah exactly martin's the only one that gets to tell anyone to shut the hell up as he deserves it's victor garber that's true and i think that's a good place to end on martin telling everyone to shut the hell up so (laughs) thank you for another exciting edition of the legends of next week I'm your host, Mary. I'm Eden. And I'm Kate. And we will see you in some upcoming week. Bye, guys. Adios.